The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. Okay, everyone, so that is the uh, introduction, uh, starting out, uh, and um, over the next few days we're going to go through these suttas that I have, uh, uh, not, I haven't printed them out, but I've kind of collected them together. Uh, has everyone got the suttas? Uh, yeah, in printed form? Okay, marvelous. Uh, in uh, Perth, in Jana Grove, usually we don't print them out. Everyone comes with a tablet these days and have the suttas on the tablets. Everyone's sitting with a tablet watching through them. But uh, the nice thing about Jana Grove, there's no, it's very hard to get internet connection, so it's actually used only for that, which is kind of nice. Uh, Anyway, so these uh, suttas are a little bit different from what I often do. I try to kind of make them a little bit different every year. And uh, in large part, this was based on the suggestion from somebody. I'm not sure if she's even here. I don't think. <laughs> but anyway, she made this suggestion, which is, which is great. I really like to take on board suggestions because uh, if you go uh, just with what you think is right, uh, it means that you tend to do exactly the same suttas every time. Yeah? You have all heard my suttas before. I'm amazed you're still coming yeah? because it's the same old suttas every year. <laughs> but uh, in a way, it doesn't matter so much if it is the same suttas because they're all very profound. There's so many different levels to them. Uh, and hopefully every time you hear them, they kind of go in a little bit deeper. Uh, yeah? And that is kind of the purpose of these suttas. Uh. But try not to feel uh, that it is boring. Uh, instead, try to see them with fresh eyes. Uh. You have the famous book, Zen Mind, uh, Beginner's Mind. Uh, see everything with a beginner's mind. Uh, and then you really take on board the suttas in a better, deeper way each time you hear them. Uh. Still, it is nice with a little bit of diversity. So this is why this sutta is going to this sutta retreat is going to be uh, around the theme of the second sutta in the Majjhima Nikaya. It's called the Sabhasava Sutta. All the defilements is like a one nice translation for that. And uh, so it's a little bit different angling on of this particular retreat. But uh, what you will find, find, and this is what you find really throughout the suttas, is that regardless of which sutta you look at, uh, it is basically the same. It's the same eightfold path that is being explained, but from a slightly different angle, slightly different uh, vantage point. Uh, and that actually is very interesting, yeah, because when you see here uh, the same thing, the same noble eightfold path, the same gradual training from a different angle, uh, it often gives you information in a way uh, that opens you up a new way of looking at that particular path, uh, and suddenly say, "Wow, now I get it." Uh, yeah. So actually, it's very interesting to see the same teaching from different angles, uh, and it opens up new new ways of appreciating these teachings. Uh. So that is kind of the, the purpose of this. That's why I've chosen a slightly different sutta uh, based on a suggestion by uh, one of the members of the BSV. Yeah. Uh, so that is going to be the, uh, what we're going to be focusing on. So basically going to be, as usual, the same kind of things, but with a slightly different angle as usual. But I thought tonight, uh, in, before I really get into the suttas, uh, I was going to give you some general instructions about meditation, yeah, because that is kind of what it all comes back to in many ways. And sometimes it can be useful to extract the meditation instructions from the suttas uh, and then take on board some of the teachings of some of the 
famous teachers in the world, yeah, like Ajahn Brahm, <laughs> who I normally use as uh, as a kind of uh, you know because I've listened to Ajahn Brahm for so many years, uh, and I have so much respect for Ajahn Brahm because of the way he teaches and his meditation practice and everything. Yeah. But I like to integrate that with the suttas uh, because there should be, if the teachings are right, uh, there should be coherent. The other teaching you hear from a good teacher and what you read in the sutta should be coherent. If it isn't coherent, uh, then you have a problem. Uh. So um, let's just start uh, with that yeah, and then see uh, how we go and then we can hopefully do some meditation towards the end. What time are we stopping today, Chinta? Is it 8.30? Huh? As I wish. Okay, as I wish. We'll see what happens then. Okay, see, we'll see how things go. But we'll have that as a rough goal then for, the, for, for tonight. Uh. So one of the uh, uh, issues that I always uh, talk about, usually I talk about meditation in the same way each time, but uh, one of the, I think, important things that you get from the suttas uh, is that meditation doesn't start straight away. You don't just sit down, come from your busy job, come from whatever it is that you're doing in your life, uh, come in here, cross your legs and start watching the breath straight away. Uh, yeah, This is not really the right way of uh, meditating. When you look at the suttas, uh, the Buddha always establishes the mind first of all. Uh, yeah, that's how he teaches. Uh. So there's always a lead up before the meditation begins. Uh. And it's so important to get that right. You find that in the Anapanasati Sutta. Yeah? Maybe, perhaps, yeah, one of the most important suttas of meditation that you find. Uh, you find that in the Satipatthana Sutta, traditionally considered uh, uh, again, one of the most important teachings on meditation practice, and both of those suttas, uh, they have a lead-up before you start doing your meditation practice. Uh, so please uh, go slowly, yeah? N try to know yourself, uh, know your mind, know what it is that you need. Uh, don't follow a kind of plan slavishly, yeah, now I'm going to watch the breath straight away. Uh, because if you watch the breath too early on, uh, if your mind isn't ready, if the mindfulness isn't established, uh, what will happen is you're going to have to use force uh, to hold that breath. Uh, and if you use too much force in your meditation, it will be uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, you can feel kind of the discomfort there. You sit and you're watching the breath, but it feels a bit tense. Uh, you can't really relax properly. Uh, I'm sure you've all been there sometimes, yeah, when you don't feel really at ease, you're not enjoying what you're doing. Uh, so relax first of all learn just to sit back and enjoy what is going on don't go to the breath too fast it is such an important principle and um, it doesn't matter if you never get to the breath it's okay yeah as long as you enjoy yourself and you have a good time that is what really is the most important thing here there are people in the world who are not ready for meditation yeah not ready for for the in fact uh, probably the majority of the world's people are not really ready for it uh, because it takes a degree of mindfulness, it takes a degree of clarity of mind uh, that the majority of people don't have. Uh. And some people have very negative reactions even to meditation. If you have a negative reaction to meditation, don't just force yourself through things uh, because if you do that, you're going to um, uh, compound that negative impact. You're going to make it even worse for yourself. Uh. And so for that reason, and then step back, uh, allow things to be, uh, and just kind of relax and just, you know, uh, take it very slowly with yourself. Uh, and then if you have that problem, then please talk to me about it, uh, and then we can discuss how to kind of move forward from there. Uh, if there is a problem, always bring it up, yeah, because otherwise uh, uh, things can, c can sometimes, if you are not very 
wise about it, they might even go a little bit wrong for you. Sometimes people do weird things, uh, and that is when weird things might happen in your mind as well. Yeah. So this is the first thing. Uh, relax, take your time. Uh, there's no urgency with this. In fact, the patience is always the fastest path yeah, in Buddhism. Uh, so make sure that you are patient with these teachings. Uh, so you start off with that. Uh, and then the second thing, uh, which is always also, in, to my mind, very important in meditation practice, uh, is to find that balance uh, where the body fades away. Uh. Meditation is all about the mind. Uh, yeah, of course, it affects the body as well because the body and mind are so intimately connected to each other. But really, it is about the mind. Uh, it's about the mind becoming calm, uh, about bringing up maybe the bliss in the mind. Yeah, but it's about developing the mind in a certain direction, uh, and that that direction is really can be summarized with two factors. Uh, one is calm, uh, and the other one is. Uh, happiness or bliss or joy or whatever you want to call it yeah those two are the two factors uh, that you should be moving towards and if you look at the teachings in the suttas uh, they're all about that calm and joy calm and happiness yeah so that is kind of the guiding principles for your meditation if that is what is happening in your meditation you know you're going in the right direction so it's all about mental things and for those mental things to work the body has to fade away. Now, for the body to fade away, there are two things that you have to avoid. Yeah, And this is the middle path. This is the very first teaching of the Buddha found in the Dhammachaka Pavatthana Sutta, uh, supposedly the first teaching of the Buddha, and still it is a teaching that we forget all the time. Isn't that kind of interesting? Yeah, the first teaching of the Buddha, and we people still tend to forget it in this world. And that is the idea of the middle way. And that the middle way is precisely where the body fades away. Yeah? The middle way is on the one hand not to indulge the body. Huh? Yeah? So you're all going to keep the eight precepts. I'm really impressed with that. You know? You're going back home and still keeping the eight precepts. That's really... Are you sure you can do that? Huh? I'm, yeah, okay. Marvelous. <laughs> I live in a monastery. I've forgotten what it's like almost to be a layperson. So I'm, I'm, I'm really, uh, really impressed. It's easy in the retreat center because everything is set up to keep the eight precepts. But if you can do it here, then... Uh, Good on you, as they say here in Australia. <laughs> so that's marvelous. So, uh, uh, so that's great. So already the restraint is there. Keeping the eight precepts is pretty much the restraint that you require. That is a lack of indulgence already there. Yeah, and uh, so that is not going to be the biggest problem. The biggest problem usually for people is they get carried away by uh, being a little bit too hard on themselves. And being hard on yourself is not going to work in meditation. In meditation, you have to be kind of self-caring. You have to look after yourself. You have to be gentle with yourself. You have to show that you have a sense of affection for yourself. Yeah, That is so important in meditation practice. And too many people, I think, in this world, probably regardless of which culture you come from, actually, too hard on themselves. So be Gentle on yourself. Be your own little baby. Uh, yeah, look after yourself in a good way. Uh, and then you're going to be on the right track with this uh, particular meditation. So remember this idea of the middle way. Uh, not to torture yourself. Yeah, There's not much to be gained by sitting in a posture if you have a lot of pain. Uh, because what happens is that the uh, mindfulness or your awareness... Um, 
gets caught by the pain and all you do is become obsessed with the pain, focusing on the pain all the time, not being able to stand back and just being able to observe what is going on. This is such a this is really problematic in meditation. Yeah? So it means in practice what this means that don't be afraid of changing your postures. Don't be afraid of sitting in different ways. Yes, using a stool sometimes, using a cushion sometimes, leaning against the wall sometimes if you want to do that. Yeah, sitting on a chair. Please don't be afraid of moving around like that. Because the most important thing is that the body is at ease, the body is right. Then you will actually be able to make progress in a meditation. Of course, don't move around for every slightest ache that you have. That is also not really ideal. So tiny little aches, tiny little problems. Just go with the flow. But in general, it is better to be... Uh, not to you know experience too much pain because it will stop you from becoming peaceful of course down the track if your samadhi becomes very strong or whatever you can deal with pain much better but especially at the beginning it's very important not to allow these things to distract you and uh, i it's always i'm always astonished yeah in the buddhist world where we have this teaching by the buddha the very first teaching how many people go wrong with this simple teaching yeah and they torture themselves and they say i'm never going to come back on a meditation retreat because it is so painful i feel so stressed out and i feel all of these kind of things and uh, so it's you know it's it's kind of surprising yeah and i think i suspect the problem is uh, that there is something deep in the human mind uh, that says that if you do things in an ascetic way, if you feel a bit of pain, yeah, no pain, no gain kind of mentality, if you feel a bit of pain, it's actually a spiritual thing. Yeah? It's going to advance you on the path. Uh, I think this is kind of a fundamental, almost fundam fundamental part of human psychology. You find it in almost all religions. You yeah, have this kind of uh, idea of asceticism. You certainly find it in Hinduism. Uh, uh, the kind of the culture where the Buddha started out, you find it in the, uh, Christianity, yeah, you find it almost across the board. Uh, and I think this is one of the breakthroughs of the Buddha to actually see through that particular problem. Uh, I think the idea is that, well, the body is problematic because the body has gives rise to all of these kind of desires and things, uh, so that you have to do the opposite. You have to really give pain to the body. That will kind of cancel out the desires, yeah? Actually, it doesn't work like that. You don't cancel out the desires by pain. You just create the inverse desire, yeah? the opposite kind of desire, the desire to get rid of things instead. That doesn't work. The way to overcome desires is to find a happiness in meditation that is different. The happiness of the spiritual life, the pity, the sukha, the peace of meditation. That is the ideal way. That is how you overcome the worldly desires. And that is the right way to do it. But I think that's probably where maybe these things come from. So watch out for that one. Yeah, no one is going to tell you off here. Yeah, I don't think so. Everyone here is going to have compassion for you if you do weird stuff. You're like lying down at the back of the room, etc. We're all going to have compassion for you if you do that. If you snore at the back of the hall somewhere, we will have compassion for you for snoring at the back of the hall. It's always quite nice yeah, when someone snores at the back. I find it quite, really quite sweet. Uh, they're snoring away, utterly unselfconscious. Yeah. <sighs> <And laughs> it's kind of, I, I find it quite, uh, quite good. Uh, and I always think good, good on you for relaxing, for not being self-conscious about these things. Uh. So that is the, um, 
the beginning yeah and this is uh, i think already a very important start point and please remember these things and then uh, the second thing which i uh, always like to point out is to keep the meditation very simple uh, meditation is something very basic yeah it's about awareness uh, it is about the breath uh, it doesn't get much more simple than that yeah it's the most kind of some of the most basic things of existence uh, awareness and the breath uh, and keep it to that uh, yeah don't try to kind of make the meditation happen for example don't kind of just stick with awareness and breath uh, and if that is all you have uh, then life is going to be very very simple for you uh. But what tends to happen is that we tend to mix into that. We tend to mix in ideas about where we should be going, yeah? what the result of the meditation should be, looking towards the future. Yeah? And then once we start to look at the results of the meditation, then we start to try to control so we achieve those results. Yeah? Control and ideas about meditation often go together. Yeah? And then when we try to control the meditation, try to make it happen, that is when you get a little bit tense, you can't really relax properly, and you destroy the entire, uh, the, much of the joy and happiness that comes through meditation practice. Uh, and this is one of the things that I have tried to learn from Ajahn Brahm. Yeah? Ajahn says always, relax, take it easy. <laughs> don't need to, not need to do anything, just sit back and enjoy what is happening. Yeah? Yeah? And ha- I'm still struggling to get that <laughs> through. I've been his disciple for 27 years. I still don't get it after 27 years. Yeah? I still have to learn to relax even more and just allow things to be. Yeah? And uh, so, again, it takes time to learn these things. But one of the things that really solidified for me the idea of this teaching of just being and relaxing. Yeah? So when I realized this is basically also how the Buddha teaches uh, Sometimes it's easier, this is Ajahn Brahm, yeah, or it's just Ajahn Brahm, the Buddha doesn't say it, so maybe it's optional, maybe you can control a little bit. But when the Buddha and Ajahn Brahm and other people as well say the same thing, it becomes really powerful. And this is one of the suttas I'm going to teach you, teach you later, which I taught, teach at every retreat I do, which you have all heard many times before, if you have listened to any of my teachings for more than 10 minutes, you will have heard this once. And this is the beautiful this sutta called the Chaitana Sutta. Chaitana means intention or volition or the will. And what the Buddha specifically says that each stage of meditation, and here he's looking at meditation from the point of view of a, a psychological point of view, the inner point of view, how you experience meditation. Each of those psychological steps of meditation which, by the way, are very beautiful steps. Yeah, it's a step starting out with non-remorse, going to pamoja, which is the gladness of the heart, going to piti, going to pasadi, going to sukha. All of those are about happiness and tranquility. Yeah, yeah isn't that amazing? Every step of the path of Buddhist meditation is about happiness and tranquility. Yeah? It's just so marvelous. It is so incredibly attractive. Yeah? And each of those steps is achieved according to nature. It's dhammata, says the Buddha. Dhammata means according to nature. Buddha specifically says, this cannot be done by an act of will. And if it cannot be done by an act of will, it means that if you try to do it, because it happens through nature, if you try to force nature, it is not going to work. Yeah, you cannot force nature to happen. Nature happens according to its own cause and conditions. So if you want this process to happen, you need to stand back and you need to allow it to occur by itself. It cannot be done through an act of will. And so this is 
so marvelous when you read this in the suttas and you see it kind of fits with uh, you know with the teachings of of some of the uh, great meditation masters in the world I, I i probably told this story many times before but there was many many years ago i don't know how, how long ago but ajahn brahm was leading some kind of trip to uh, uh, to Thailand, uh, and they went to see this teacher called Ajahn Ganha, which I've spoken about before. You probably heard of him before. Very famous, really cool teacher. Uh, cool, in the, not in the sunglasses, cool, but really kind of ooh, really relaxed and cool. Yeah, because very cool feeling about him. Uh. And uh, so they went, and there was a large crowd coming mostly from Perth. I don't know if anyone from Melbourne was there. And they went to see him, and they said, Oh, Bante, or not Bante, but, you know, Venerable Sir, you know, Ajahn Ganha, whatever they call him. And Lumpur, probably. Yeah. Maybe this was before the Lumpur days, I'm not sure. But uh, anyway, they so and then, Oh, please, teach us about meditation. Yeah. You are renowned as a great meditation master, yeah. We may, and probably someone, oh, you must be an arahant. Probably, you know, what people are like. I go and say these things, and then, and then, uh, uh, please teach us meditation because you are so famous meditation master. Yeah. And then he says, breathe in, sabai. Breathe out, sabai. Evan. That's it. That's the whole minute. That's the whole teaching. Yeah. Breathe in, sabai. Breathe out, sabai. Sabai means. Relax, yeah. Be at ease. That's what it means in Thai. Yeah. Breathe in, sabai. Breathe out, sabai. Is that enough? <laughs> that's all he said, right? They travel all the way from Perth, all the way to Thailand, and that's the whole teaching they get. That's really. <laughs> but the point is, it's quite hard to do, right? It's actually quite difficult to really be sabai when you are doing a meditation practice. That is the problem. So the thing is, if you take a teaching like that to heart fully and you practice it 100%, then you will go all the way to the end of the path very much. But at the very least, you have some really nice samadhi if you do that. So actually, it is sufficient. The problem is, how do we actually become sabai while we're breathing in and out? That's the hard part. Yeah. How do you really relax? But the same idea again, relax. No willpower is required. Uh, allow things to be here. Uh, and then kind of things come out of that. Everything happens uh, as a consequence. Uh. And uh, what is so fascinating, what I've seen many times happen, is that uh, you know, Ajahn Brahm teaches these teachings. Uh, he, Ajahnagrove Grove, always, kind of, always full to capacity. If you want to have a chance to go on a retreat at Ajahnagrove, Grove, you have to be on the computer. And from the moment it opens up to the moment it's fully booked, is less than three minutes. Yes? It's like, bang, it's all full. So you have to be really, really fast. Get a young relative who type, can type really fast yeah, to make sure they do the typing for you. Huh? <laughs> and um, what is very fascinating is that you see Ajahn Brahm gives this teaching every year, yeah? Sit back, relax, don't do anything, yeah? And everything just happens. You just have to be patient. And then after a couple of days, people say, I'm doing exactly what you're saying, but it's not happening here. Yeah, I'm doing exactly, I'm just sitting here doing absolutely nothing at all, and it's not working for me here. And Ajahn Brahm says, you're not following the instructions. <laughs> but well, you know, how, how hard can it be to sit back and relax? That's what he said, you're not following instructions properly here. And this is kind of almost like the holy grail, if you like, of meditation practice. Why is it that when Ajahn Brahm, he sits down, he does nothing, he just sits and sits and sits and waits, yeah? Everything becomes very peaceful, becomes, and the bliss starts to rise. The nimittas come out, and he goes into all these states, that's what happens to him, yeah? Well, this is what happens if you don't do anything. That's what he says. 
So why isn't happening happening to every one of us? Uh, what is the reason for that? Uh, and this is like really interesting, right? Why does it happen to one person, but not everyone else? Uh, and if we can understand that, uh, then you have like the key, the trick uh, that makes meditation possible for you. Uh, so we have to really figure out why is it that when some people relax and just chill, uh, they get this wonderful meditation, uh, whereas others don't. Uh. And uh, this was one of the things that we discussed during the rains retreat uh, at Bodhinyana Monastery, because as always, I give some teachings as well during the rains. Uh, and uh, I brought this thing up because people were asking about this question. Uh. And, uh, so, uh, uh, and so what I told them, the difference is why it works for Ajahn Brahm, uh, why it doesn't work for them. Yeah? It's interesting, isn't it? Uh, have you heard this before? Uh, <laughs> so this is really, really exciting. Yeah, if you get this, uh, then you know exactly what you have to do. So this is really, really good stuff. I'm like kind of building it up now so that you really kind of you don't forget this. Yeah, <laughs> this is kind of the trick of being a teacher. Don't just imagine you have to be really build it up and then bang and then kind of goes in. No. So what what it is? It has to do with where your mind is directed. Yeah. So if your mind is directed in the right way. Then, as you sit down, the mind is moving towards all of these positive things all by itself. Yeah, That is the difference. It just happens. The mind does it because the mind is pre-programmed. The mind knows where to find happiness, and it moves towards the happiness. It doesn't go towards suffering. But if you don't really understand the difference between happiness and suffering, if you think there is happiness in what actually is suffering, your mind often goes towards the suffering instead. It goes to the wrong place. So your mind is not directed to the right thing. And that is the difference. Yeah? So when Ajahn Brahm just relaxes, sits down, does nothing, his mind just leaps to the goal because he knows exactly what that goal is. He knows what will give him happiness. He knows what will not. But for the majority of people, and the less enlightened you are, the more so, yeah? The mind often turns to things that do not, not actually uh, give rise to happiness in the long run, or even the short run for that matter. Uh, that is the difference. Uh, so um, what we have to do uh, is we have to try to program ourselves in such a way uh, that the mind understands where the happiness is, uh, yeah? understands where the suffering is, uh, so that when you let go, when you relax, when you don't do anything, the mind all by itself, gradually, stage by stage, moves towards that uh, happiness and away from the suffering here. Yeah. And Ajahn Brahm himself, we asked him afterwards, well, what, what, what is that you do when you meditate? Ajahn Brahm said, oh yeah, I had to think about it because for him it's so automatic, he has to actually think about what he's doing. Oh, I thought about it. actually what I'm doing is I'm re renouncing. Yeah. yeah, that's what I do, I just renounce. And when you renounce, then everything just goes and you become peaceful. Yeah. But to be able to renounce, you have to understand that there is happiness in that renunciation and that there is suffering in holding on. And the main thing that we renounce is what? Well, it is the sensory world. Yeah, that's the main thing, or the first thing anyway, that we renounce before we go deeper. So this is basically what you have to do. So how can we do that? How can we renounce? And um, what you need here is just some basic tricks again, just to uh, kind of guide your mind yeah, in the right direction. Just some uh, ways of thinking about the world, thinking about meditation. Uh, and one of the ways that I uh, would 
one of the ways that, uh, well, anyway, it has worked for me. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. These tools get blunt uh, after a while, but uh, sometimes they work. One way of thinking about it is always to prioritize your spiritual life. Uh, one of the things that uh, I have, you know, you notice the reason why you think about worldly things uh, is because you prioritize them. Uh, yeah. Why do you think about your job sometimes, about your relationships, about your family, about your uh, some kind of pleasure in life, whatever it is? Oh, dinner, um, eight precepts, the, fr the fridge is just there and I'm here and I I'm on, no, I'm on eight precepts. Ah, dukkha. Yeah. <laughs> and it's much harder for all of you because you are not used to keeping the eight precepts. We keep them all the time. For us, it's ble bleeding easy to keep the eight precepts. Yeah, even the thought of food in the evening is kind of, what, what, what is that for you? Do you ever, it's kind of almost, uh, almost strange, isn't it? Yeah. It's, uh, you can't even think about it. Uh, so what you have to do is you have to reprogram your mind, reprioritize, and remember that everything now is what we're doing, what really matters in the world. This, the spiritual path, meditation practice, keeping the eight precepts, doing spiritual things, reflecting about the Dhamma in the right way, this is what really matters. This is what is really important. This is what gives real meaning. This is what has a real goal, a real purpose, a real aim. Everything else pales by comparison. The worldly life doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, think about that. The worldly life is just... A, you do the same thing, the same problems re-arise, you go round and round. Even in this life you go round and round, let alone if there's many lives. It doesn't really lead anywhere. Yeah, you indulge in your sensual pleasures, and then what? You come back to square one again very soon. It doesn't go anywhere. And so what we need to do is, if there's nothing wrong with living, you know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with living a lay life or monastic life for that matter. That's not really the point. The point is how we live those lives. And once you start to understand that the spiritual path is what really matters because it has a real meaning, a real purpose, it actually takes you somewhere and it leads to these amazing results. Once you get that, then you turn your entire life into a spiritual path. Everything you do, yeah, if you have a family, okay, that's fine. But you turn family life into a spiritual path. If you have a job, okay, good. But then turn even the job into a spiritual life. Maybe hard. I don't know. <laughs> Some people say, oh, you know, work life is so difficult. But you have no choice, really. And you have to reimagine what it is like to live your work life and make it into a spiritual practice. How to be kind to your co-workers, how to be kind to your customers. Yeah, how to be kind to your boss. <laughs> yeah, everyone really. Yeah, because we're all human beings. We're all in this uh, together, regardless of who we are in this world. And then as you reprogram yourself in this way yeah, and you make your whole life into a spiritual path, then you know that when you come on retreat, now is what I'm doing, the real, even more intensely, the spiritual practice. And because everything else is geared towards what you're doing now, everything else pales by comparison. And then when you come here, you don't think about those things because they are secondary. They are for the purpose of what you're doing now. They don't have a purpose in their own right. And then they fade away. You don't give them importance. You don't think about them. Yeah. And that is the right way of doing this. It's easy to say. Not so, not so easy to do always. Uh, but if you keep on reprogramming yourself, uh, keep on reflecting in this way, uh, 
because I'm sure that most of you will agree roughly with what I'm saying. Yeah, I've seen you come back year after year after year, just like we come back year after year. Yeah, so you have an idea that is very similar to what we have. And so for that reason, I'm sure you can just keep on reprogramming yourself, also known as brainwashing, yeah, and then gradually, gradually. Yeah. So this is one way of doing that, of reminding yourself of this. And um, um, I will come back to some other ways of thinking about this during this retreat, because there are some of my favorite suttas which I uh, teach every year, which are really about this, about you know the world not being all that satisfactory, being problematic and all of that. And these are very, in my opinion, very, very useful reflections. Uh, and then uh, as you do that, you gradually kind of uh, uh, move out, move away from that interest in that world outside. So this is uh, a way of thinking, yeah? And this means that when you just reflect like that, uh, you don't need the willpower in your medita meditation because that reflection uh, will help you guide your mind in the right direction, uh, yeah? And then this is a way of overcoming these things. Uh. So uh, that is uh, uh, one example. Another example of helping you to overcome these thoughts uh, is uh, to do a little bit of death contemplation. Do you like death contemplation? Uh, yeah? Okay, <laughs> Okay. good. You're nodding. nodding. That's good. And one of the reasons why death contemplation is very useful, please don't use it if you don't like it. If, you, if you, Some people really have this uh, negative reaction when it comes to death, uh, but I would recommend everyone to try it every now and again because it is a very spiritual thing to think about death. Uh, yeah, almost all religions or spiritual teachings have an idea of death contemplation because it's a very fundamental part of what a spiritual life basically means because death is like the end of the worldly things yeah nothing can be taken with you beyond the point of death there's something about death which guides you in a different direction and so try to do a little bit of death contemplation as well and it can be very very useful to shift your interest away from all the worldly things yeah because when you die everything in the world is going to have to be given up you can't take these things with you beyond this life it's very very obvious and even though it is so obvious we tend to forget it all the time and the more powerful you can make that idea in your mind yeah that you're gonna die you don't know when this is the problem yeah we have no idea when it can unfortunately it can be any time this is the problem with this life. And because it can be any time, because you don't know when, now is the only time to make it real. If you don't make it real now, you may never actually have an opportunity to make it real. So when you bring it in, you make it real in the present moment. Yeah, okay, you don't know when you're going to die. What happens is that you let go of the world. Because you cannot bring the world with you into the future, whatever that future is after you die. And in Buddhism, we, will, we say there is rebirth. Uh, yeah? So you're going to carry on. Uh, whatever happens afterwards, you cannot take it with you. Uh, and because of that, uh, now is the time to let go. Uh, it's very beautiful. Uh, and if you do it right, uh, you become very peaceful as a consequence. Uh, because you let go of the attachments in the world. Uh, you let go of the cravings and silly little upsets or whatever happens in your life. Uh, all that seems irrelevant uh, if you are about to die. Uh, yeah. So this is another way of doing it. So the death contemplation, the idea of dying, uh, is very similar to what we're doing in meditation. Uh, when you are about to die, uh, 
You have to let go of everything in the world. When we meditate, we also want to let go of everything in the world. Yeah? And this is why these two things work so beautifully hand in hand. Because the general idea is the same. Whether you meditate or whether you die is the same kind of idea. So see if you can die a little bit in your meditation. <laughs> yeah? Have you come here to die? This is a famous saying by Ajahn Chah, apparently, Lumpur Chah, Ajahn Brahm's teacher. He, we said, that, have you come here to die? When you come to his monastery, have you come here to die? Not sure. <laughs> have I come to the right place? There's a running joke in our monastery. We have a, a little room where we do the dying of the robes. Yeah? <laughs> so when someone is there dying, someone comes past and says, oh, have you come here to die? Yeah? This is <laughs> the sort of things that monastics get up to here. So... Anyway, this is the idea, yeah? So you can use the idea of death because dying and meditation are very, very similar to each other. It's about letting go. It's about letting things be, yeah? And uh, what does a dying person do? You don't do very much, yeah? You don't kind of, oh, I must watch the breath. You know, you don't do that kind of thing when you're dying. You just relax, yeah? And you enjoy, you lie down, and still you become peaceful when you die. If you are ready, you become peaceful, you may have noticed that if you have seen anyone who is dying, very often if they are spiritually prepared, they become peaceful when they die. Why is that? Because they know they have to let go. They don't have any choice. It's just that it's so bleeding obvious for once. So you just let go. So the idea is to bring that into the present moment. Don't wait till you are on your deathbed. Bring it into the here and now. And then maybe you can achieve a similar kind of peace as a dying person. That is the idea here. Does it make sense? Yeah. So, so some of you are nodding, some of you are not. Okay. <laughs> so please feel free to ask. Yeah. And and later on, and I'm very happy to elaborate even more on these things if necessary. But the basic idea, meditation and death, is the same. That is why it is so useful. It puts you in the right mental frame. Once you are in the right mental frame, you don't have to use willpower anymore. The meditation just unfolds all by itself. And then you can follow this idea that, that you find in the suttas, and which Ajahn Brahm also is very uh, known for. As you do all this, gradually mindfulness will hopefully start to arise. If it doesn't arise, don't despair. Yeah, it just means that you have to kind of... Uh, Try more, yeah. Never give up. That's the only, th the only wrong thing to do is to give up. Always try new ways. The Buddha promises that if you practice this path, you will get the results. So you have to have faith and confidence in that. And eventually they will come. If you keep on investigating, if you keep on being brutally honest with yourself and your defilements and your problems, you will find a way through. So then mindfulness starts to arise. And then sometimes we have to deal with things like... Uh, again, thinking about the future, thinking about the past. Uh, and there's all kind of things that we can do sometimes to help out. Uh, sometimes you have to do a little bit of forgiveness uh, of the people in your life, the people in the world. Uh, yeah, And uh, these kind of things, to so let go of these things. Uh, especially the past, the future, that is more about what I talked about just before, about the idea of prioritizing the spiritual path, uh, coming into the present. Uh, um, understanding the limitations of the world around us. Then the mind comes together. And when all of these things come together, then mindfulness should be starting to arise. Then you are ready for meditation. Yeah. So you have to wait that long. Then meditation starts to happen. The real meditation, the meditation of the Buddha, not the 
was going to say Mickey Mouse meditation. That's really unfair, isn't it? That's really unfair to call it Mickey Mouse. It's no such thing as Mickey Mouse meditation. Everything we do, which is leading in the right direction, is good. Yeah, and uh, we shouldn't kind of make make silly jokes out of it. Uh, there's one more thing, and that is to give rise to joy in your meditation. If you really want to have success, if you want your mind to be glued on to the meditation object, it is so important to have some joy and happiness in a meditation. Yeah, That is what is going to enable you to go much deeper. And uh, that is uh, uh, many ways of doing that. But one way of doing that is just to think how fortunate you are to be a Buddhist uh, uh, person who has all of these marvelous teachings handed down by the Buddha two and a half thousand years ago, the greatest spiritual genius in human history, is our teacher. Is that kind of inspiring? Here is this this person. Yeah, I was going to say man, but you know, you I've lost your gender when you become a Buddha in a sense, and. Uh, so this person, two and a half thousand years ago, yet gave us these teachings, uh, been handed on for two and a half thousand years. Uh, when he was teaching two and a half thousand years ago, he taught with everybody in mind, even people in the future. Uh, so he is our teacher. Uh, and you have the greatest spiritual genius, I say, in human history as our teacher. The teachings are still here. They are, these are the teachings. These are some of them anyway, yeah, right here in front of us. Uh, when you read this, you think, whoa, this is the Buddha talking to you yeah if you had hair your hair would be standing on end but if you don't have hair then you know the feeling is still the same <laughs> so uh, yeah and this is kind of really amazing when you think about that you have the kalyanamittas uh, you still have good monastics in the world good lay people who practice teaching these teachings uh, and uh, i i always thought that sometimes you have to be a monastic to be able to teach this practice these teachings to the very end. But I know some very impressive lay people. Uh, and they are, you know, I don't know that I don't know if they've gone all the way to the end of the path, but Jeep is they've gone a long way as well on this path. Uh, so these teachings are there. We have all this support. We have all of these things. Wow, I'm so fortunate. Yeah, I'm so blessed to be born at this time and age when this, these teachings are still here. And you can kind of feel like you are a real disciple of the Buddha because you're practicing these teachings and you are reading them right here and now. Yeah, We're going to be doing so over the next eight days or so. And by thinking like that, yeah, boy, you can get some real joy just by thinking like that. It's kind of astonishing. Sometimes we think that we are, you know, we feel joyous because we have some kind of silly success in the world yay a new relationship oh i feel so happy this new relationship oh i got a promotion in my job yay okay it's it's okay to feel happy about that. there's nothing wrong with feeling happy about that but here we have something a million times more precious and we feel yeah whatever the buddha's teachings yeah but it's so you know what i mean it's so it's more difficult to kind of understand that this is incredibly valuable but if we understood this we'll feel a we will feel a million more times happy uh, by reading these teachings uh, than we would feel about any kind of worldly gain. Uh. Yes, this is the idea. It's just about getting into the right mindset. Uh. And then uh, you feel a sense of gratitude as well to the Buddha. Wow, thank you for teaching these things. Uh. Thanks for spending 45 years of your life just teaching everyone. Uh. You could have just uh, gone to the forest and meditated, but you didn't do that. Uh. You taught us all for the benefit of humanity. Uh. Thank you so much. Uh. And then bringing up that beautiful sense of gratitude, uh, the beautiful sense of bliss by reflecting about the Dhamma and the Buddha in the right way. Uh, these are the kind of ways that you actually start to 
uh, build up some happiness in your meditation practice. So these things may not work for you. Yeah, they're not necessarily easy because it, you have to have some grasp of the Dhamma to really get these things going. Yeah? But it gives an idea of what you can do yeah? when these things uh, start to kind of come together in a beautiful way. Yeah? That's what this really is about. So getting access to that joy, yeah? getting access to that happiness, yeah? that is the last piece of the puzzle. Yeah? Yeah? I've been giving you many pieces on the puzzle now. Yeah? So put all those pieces together and then you get this beautiful picture. Yeah? And there's the picture called Samadhi. Yeah? And then samadhi starts to happen, uh, and then you're really uh, super-duper happy, and you're doing very, very well in your meditation practice. So. Okay, that is uh, all I am going to say here uh, this evening. Yeah. I probably said, maybe I, I, I don't know, I just said enough maybe, uh, certainly enough. So uh, let's uh, do a little bit of meditation together before we call it a night. Uh. Okay, everyone, so just uh, start off with uh, whatever procedure you have for your meditation. I'm sure many of you have a very good practice going already, so just do whatever um, whatever you're used to. Uh, and uh, it's nice to have a particular procedure that you can go through. It's like certain checkpoints almost to make sure that you're going in the right direction. Uh, and I recommend always just to start off by just feeling the body and feeling the mind, uh, making sure that you are at ease, that you are relaxed, uh, and that you are ready to enjoy the meditation practice. Uh.
And uh, please uh, remember to take lots of time at the beginning. Uh, there's no urgency at all. Uh, in fact, the exact opposite uh, is the truth. Uh, so just be very patient with yourself uh, and just allow things to calm down. Uh, and there's a tendency for things to calm down uh, if you can just stand back and allow things to be. Uh, so just do that, especially at the beginning. Uh, and then uh, uh, hopefully things will kind of take a turn of their own and just move forward in the right way. Uh.
and uh, make sure as you go along uh, <coughs> that you don't uh, react to the things outside. Uh, remember the world outside is out of control. Uh, just allow it to be. Uh, allow the sounds, allow whatever, uh, just to flow through your mind, in and out again. Uh, no reaction, uh, no holding on to what is happening. Uh, and as you do that, you can always feel a sense of <coughs> peace in the present moment. Uh, and instead, focus on that peace, uh, that ever-present peace, which can be focused on at any time, in any situation. Uh, and allow your mind to be drawn towards that, uh, tune into that, uh, so that it calms down in the same way. Uh.
Okay, everyone, so coming close now to the end of the meditation. Uh, before we come to the very end, uh, just take a minute to reflect back on what you have been doing. Uh, and if you find that you are more peaceful, at ease and relaxed, uh, ask yourself why that is the case. Uh, how does this meditation work? Uh, what are the perceptions? What is the letting go? that leads you in the right direction. Okay, everyone, so that is uh, it for tonight. So I wish you all a very good night. Uh, and uh, if you wish, you are welcome, very welcome to come back again tomorrow morning. Uh, very nice to see you all again. Uh, and uh, so have a good night. And uh, let's just pay respect to Buddha Dhamma Sangha before we call it today.